we got some stuff. Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. I know we've read this a few times, uh, but bear with me here. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making it captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from the body of this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together, and we pray a blessing on this time, Lord. We pray a blessing on our teenagers and Justin who are coming back from retreat, and we pray for safe travels for them. Uh, And Lord, we just pray that you be with us in these few moments. May our hearts and minds be open to your spirit. May your spirit transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, the year was 1935. Dan, you remember that year, right? Hmm. A New York stockbroker named Bill, who was a longtime alcoholic, and in fact his chronic alcoholism had led to the end of his marriage and finally to the end of his career. Uh, Bill had numerous stints in a New York hospital, which led him to this kind of end point in his life. He could either stop drinking, which he was struggling with, or figure out how to stop drinking. Now, Bill had friends, and all of these friends tried to help him, including a drinking buddy named Ebby Thatcher. Ebby had found sobriety through a Christian movement called the Oxford Group, a Christian society of men which emphasized universal spiritual values in daily living. Now, at the same time, Bill, as he was trying to get sober, was introduced to Dr. William Duncan Silkworth of the Towns Hospital in New York City. He influenced Bill with both the Oxford group, religion, but also saying that alcoholism is a disease and that he would need others to help him be cured of that disease. And so, with a newfound relationship with God and the help of his longtime drinking buddy, Bill was able to stop drinking. However, it didn't mean that drink, stop drinking was easy. At one point, Bill found himself in Akron, Ohio, needing a drink. This is when Bill contacted a fellow Oxford group member and desperate alcoholic, Dr. Bob Smith. And Smith found himself in the same predicament as Bill earlier in life. Bob could not stop drinking, even with the participation of the Oxford group. Bob found that being able to spend time and have someone else who understood the struggles of alcoholism to become the thing 
he needed to get sober. So he needed God, and he needed someone to walk with him who understood. Because you see, alcoholism up until about 1935 was always seen as a moral failure on the part of the person. Like, just get better. You know, stop drinking. What Bill and later Bob realized was that it was more than that, that it was actually a disease. And that all alcoholics needed the help of others to continue in their sobriety. And so shortly after the trip in which Wilson and Smith met one another and kind of helped each other out in their sobriety, they co-founded Alcoholics Anonymous. It started small. And the two helped about 40 alcoholics during their first two years, working tirelessly with them in their sobriety and also in their relationship with God. And now we know what AHA has done to this point. There are these phrases that I think we've heard before. They should know better. They should just stop doing what they're doing. We've heard these phrases before. All of us have probably been on both ends of these phrases, both ends of these comments. You know, you, we should know better. We should do better. I mean, I think most of us in here know that. I think most of us, uh, when we think about ourselves, we know that, that we should do better, that we should be better. And I believe that most people besides us And I'm talking about uh, the people you and I know who are struggling with different things uh, that may cause even us to shake our heads. We are with people every day in which we're just like, I can't believe they're doing that. What are they doing? And in fact, you and I have been guilty of saying these phrases as if if you would just look at an alcoholic and say, well, you should know better. You should just stop drinking. And they look at you and go, oh, you're the one I've been waiting to tell me I need to do that. Thank you so much. Now that you told me I should stop drinking, I will definitely stop drinking. As if it's that easy, right? That's what we think. That's what we like, think in our heads. You know, I, I have a friend of mine who is in, uh, works with the homeless community. And one of the, one of the things that uh, it just gets to him is when people are like, well, don't they know that that if they're homeless, they should get, just get a job? And my buddy, who, who ha, is short of fuse, says, yes, that's what that homeless person has been wanting you to say, to get a job. That's the thing they've been waiting for, is for you to tell them that, as if they're not, thanks, bud, that's exactly what I know I need. We have this way of thinking, right? This, these phrases that look at people and say, they should know better. They should understand what, like, don't they know what they're doing is wrong? As if you haven't done the same thing before? Maybe not at that level, but you've done something. Our text uh, from Romans reminds us, if anything, that life is complicated. If anything, our text from Romans reminds us that life is hard. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, life is complicated. Life is hard. Whether we want to admit it or not, and it feels Paul has been trying to get us to understand this truth, that sin is a power not just impinging upon us, but is working from the outside, inside, inside, outside. Sin is a power like nothing the world has ever encountered. And sin does not stop once someone says, stop sinning. 
It is unrelenting. And as Leander Keck wrote in one of his writings on Romans, and to be honest with you, I just like the name Leander Keck. Um, this is what he says. Sin power is stronger than willpower. Sin is the power that causes dissonance in our head of good and evil. I think all of us can give an amen to this statement when I read it. It's very simple and very easy, but sin power is stronger than willpower. For you to think by yourself that you could conquer sin, how arrogant do you really think you are? Paul, in this discussion about sin power in the last few chapters, points not to the despair of humanity, but actually points to God's action in the last few chapters through Christ. Paul believes that believers have been saved out of this power and into a new power. And in Christ, our lives are no longer slaves to sin's work in us and through us. So what is Paul doing in this last section of the text of Romans 7? It's a section we know well. How can Romans 7 inform our living today? Well, it's like I said a few minutes ago. I think we have to understand, we have to come to this agreement, we have to come to this thing in our head that, that allows us to look at the predicament that we find ourselves in, that we can see the predicament in which we find creation in. It can be easy to miss it in our life. It can be easy to play it off. It can be easy to turn it into some kind of platitude. Well, when you live in a fallen world, this kind of stuff happens. Ah, it's just too much of a platitude for us. Well, you know, this kind of stuff happens. As if there isn't something we can actually do about it. We look around every day and we shake our heads at, at what the world is doing and, and what the world does to one another. And in our own little bubble within each of our circles of influence, we might say the same thing. And we have friends, family, and acquaintances that do the same thing. They get themselves in trouble. And, and maybe on a smaller level, we just continue to shake our heads. We can't understand why the world is what the world is. We can't understand why the world is doing what the world is doing. We also can't understand why our best friend is doing what our best friend is doing as well. Why would they do that? Or why would they say that about someone else? It can all be infuriating. And Paul here, and, and maybe you caught it in verse 21, he sets up a principle. This doesn't have to do with God's law. It's as if Paul is saying, I have found this to be some kind of Murphy's law, right? Some kind of thing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. There's something at play in all of us in these actions. Sin, yes, but something else that sin really plays well with. It is this individualized, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps kind of mentality. A sense, or, or more like an ethos. Like this kind of thing in the air, an ethos that says, you can do it if you just put your mind to it. Who's heard that one before? You can do, I mean, just go to the self-help aisle of any book section that will say, you can do it if you just put your mind to it. And this whole kind of ethos has, has played itself into, into all of us to, to where we think that, you know, it's just up to the individual person to do it. It places all the pressure on the other person. And if the person fails, well, it's some kind of failure on their part. Drinking, 1935, you can just stop drinking. And if you can't, it's obviously a failure on your part. What happens generally is when the person fails, when you and I fail, 
shame sets in. Because we made it all about the person. We made it about us, that we can do it. So if, if I can't do it, then it's obvious I have a problem. It, without coming to this real acknowledgement that, that Paul is trying to get us to look at, that sin is hard and the world's in a spot. I mean, we do it to others. We, we project on them. We push on them. We pressure them when their mistakes happen, when their missteps happen. I've had to learn this as a dad, you know. One of the hard things in life is, one of the hard things that's ever been done is this grading system, this thing we call grades, right? And as a dad, um, growing up, I had, I, had a, I had a certain idea of how you should, what grades you should make and how you should get through life and, and those kind of things. And, and then enters your kids, right? And so when Anna Lee starts getting report cards and I start getting them, I find myself looking at numbers and making the number who my daughter is. So what do I do? I pre- put all the pressure onto her. I get upset with her. I project onto her, her missteps, right? This is your fault. Do better. As if not realizing that sometimes school's hard, but I'm telling her, you have to do better if you don't do this. And what do I find myself doing? Pressing on her, pushing on her. By the way, impinging onto her all of those things without ever asking her, what are you struggling with? What's hard, right? Or ever remembering that, by the way, when I took uh, algebra, I, uh, I had to take it again. Again, folks, we're going to do a financial thing here in a little bit. I'm not the math guy. But, but forgetting all of that, press on to her everything else to the point where finally realizing it, I basically looked at Laurie and said, it is your job to worry about the grades. I will not look at them. Right? Because that's what I've done to her. We, I projected onto her all of these things, not remembering just how hard it was for me. So instead of walking alongside, I made it about her. Well, I'm sorry, it's hard. Pick, it, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Get it taken care of. I'm not saying there's not a responsibility for the individual's actions, but we miss the bigger picture of what's going on in the world if we just leave it at that. And I believe Paul is trying to get us to see that. The sin is a power that it's, it's more robust than we can possibly imagine. It's a power, it's a, a force that lives in the lives of people and in the world. It can be tempting just to judge the many actions that we see in the world. And it can be easy to judge the moral failures and personal actions of others on a daily basis. I mean, it's incredibly easy to do that. It's easy just to sit back, point a finger, push them to the edges of society, and call them names. It's easy to say that, that those people, that if they would just be like us, then there wouldn't be any problems in the world. I mean, I guess we can, I guess we can do that, but Paul seems to think that we should be doing something else. I guess we could look at people and say, well, you're the problem and go away. It would be easier, but I think that'd be missing the point. Paul has tried to get us to see it differently. He's attempting to get the people of Rome to see themselves differently in not light of their newfound freedom, in light of their justified self, in light of themselves within the story of Christ. In so doing, he is reminding all of us in this last part that this is what we once were. This is who we were before Jesus. It's the war that is going on inside of 
from 14 and 15. All of these passages that we've just read, these difficult passages, Paul is trying to say, this is what you once were. See yourself in this light. Understand that you were not immune from this. And as we read Romans 7, and as we read this last part of the letter in Romans, we realize that, there is nothing, that we are nothing more than a complicated, conflicted self. That those given the law saw this confliction. And while feeling religious with the law, that the person could not fulfill the law. There's this confliction of those with the law, that they couldn't do it. They had possession of it and struggled with the performance of it. Sin found a way to misshape and deform the law's power, causing one to put into practice those things outside of what is right. And it's the same for those without the law as well. It's as if Paul is saying, we know deep inside of us what is right. We might not want to admit it, but we know that we're conflicted. We know that we're complicated. It's almost as if Paul is putting a mirror up to us and saying, remember that person? Remember the person who continued to struggle and couldn't get it right ever? Remember when you were beating yourself up because you knew what you wanted to do, but you couldn't do it? It's almost as if Paul is saying we need to grapple seriously with the idea that we are all walking contradictions. I say that all the time to people. I completely understand who I am and that I am a walking contradiction. And it is difficult. But that's who I am. We were. And once we come to terms with this, once we come to terms with the complication that is being who we are, when we come to terms with the power of sin and the contradictions going on within all of us, and I know it feels heavy, and I know it feels hard, and I know it feels like, well, all I am is a failure, hence why we read Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am. Well, if that's the state that I was in, if that's the state I'm in now, then what's gonna, how am I going to get through this? How is shame not going to overpower me? How am I going to be at a point where I can look at myself in a different way? How am I going to be at a point in which I can look at others in a different way? And so Paul says, wretched man that I am. And we have all felt wretched at some time in this world, have we not? We have all felt shameful at some time in this world. We can understand feeling this way. Because we know it's hard. We know that sin has impinged on us. We know that we still make mistakes. We say the things we shouldn't, and we do the things that hurt. We raise our voice to our kids. We gossip with friends when we shouldn't. We lie to others, and yes, even at times we cheat. We know better. And here's the thing. Paul says you're a work in progress. You're on a journey through it. Paul knows that he can't help but give the spoiler for next week. It's as if Paul has put us in a point of saying, look in the mirror, realize who you are, realize who you were, be able to look at people differently, and oh, I feel uh, thanks, Paul, for making me feel bad about myself. But Paul, being the apostle of grace, can't give a little bit of a spoiler. So in verse 7, in verse 25, what does he say? This wretched man, but thanks be to God. If we can look at ourselves in the mirror and remember where we once were, then we can look at Christ and say, thanks be to God, because we're no longer there. It took something radical to see ourselves in a different state. And as we'll talk next week, it took resurrection. Therefore, as Paul has been saying, grace, 
grace and more grace. What does he mean? He's, telling, he's looking at the Roman church and saying this, lean fully into the life of grace. Give yourself a little grace today. As you're going to struggle even today, give yourself a little grace today to look in the mirror and realize that's what I was. I'm becoming something different. But the journey to get there is really hard. So give yourself a little grace along the way. In our weaknesses and in our mistakes and in our struggles and even in our doubts, Paul says, thanks be to God through God through Christ, who has saved us today, that it is in the grace of Jesus Christ that we can make it through, that God is present through the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit that works, a Holy Spirit that shapes, and a Holy Spirit that helps when sin, sin attempts to do the thing that it does to us. Paul says God walks with us in grace. And if that's the case, if you can give yourself a little grace today, then just maybe you can give those around you a little bit of a break. Maybe you're able to look at people and their struggles a little bit differently. That as you read 714, you say, that's what I once was. I was that same person. I did the things I, didn't want, I knew was right, wrong but, uh, and I wanted to do right. I was that person. And you know what? Today I can offer myself a little bit of grace. Why? Because God gives me the grace to move on. So maybe... Just maybe, instead of having a word to somebody saying, don't you know better? Or maybe you should do it this way, because we're all the great fixers. That instead, we say, hey friend, how can I help you today? What do you need from me? You know what? That does sound hard. How can I help you? Maybe we need to lean into the grace that is in our life, giving ourselves some grace, looking at ourselves in the mirror in this passage and saying, we get that, we feel this, so that when we see others going through it, we can offer them a little bit of grace and not point the finger and say, well, if you just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, or I don't know, hey, I found this book on Amazon, you should read it. But instead say, friend, you look like you need an ear to hear. Let me just be that ear. And let them feel the grace that is working in you and let them have just a little piece of that to realize that they can't get through it by themselves. Because you know what? Neither did you. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit walks with every one of you on a daily basis. So even God says, I know you can't do this alone, so I'm going to be with you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have any needs this morning, there are people here who will listen to you, who will sit with you, who will pray with you. If you have any struggles, I'll be down front. Elder will be down front. But come now as we stand, as we sing. <clears throat>